This is Ed Cohen, editor of GlobalBusinessNews.net and Global HR News and talk show host on Global Radio. And our special guest today is Connie Weedle. Connie has a company now called HR Without Borders. Connie Weedle is SPHR, GPHR, and Asherum, SCP. She's known as a chief people builder. Connie, welcome to the show, and good morning. Good morning, Ed. Nice to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Great to have you back. So you recently retired from Argen, and now you're on your own. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's been a little while coming, but I'm very excited to be out doing my own thing. Okay, so now your website, HR Without Borders, What does that mean? Does that mean global HR or just HR without any restrictions or what? You're actually very astute and it actually means both. So it is HR without borders. I've had a lot of background in global and international and domestic HR, but it's also a new way of looking at HR and really looking at building people up so they can achieve their potential and possibilities. So there's a big market for that because a lot of people who are in uh, your same position, uh, relatively speaking, as a corporate employee for multiple years and rising through the organization to a point of leadership within HR, big company, small. But there's so many restrictions and board pressures and engagement issues and new generation. So what actually caused you to want to make the leap into being an entrepreneur, a a solopreneur? I assume you're going to go back to people you know within other companies and offer your outsourcing services. Is that correct? That's correct. I have really been doing this for the last 10 or 15 years along with my corporate job. I've been doing it more on a ad hoc basis, I'll say. But I've been consulting and working with people, helping people with recruiting, coaching, HR issues along the way for the last 15 years alongside my corporate HR responsibilities. And I just believe it's time to go out and do it myself for the same reasons that you mentioned. You have some restrictions and some not easy pathways when you're working in an organization and you have a lot more freedom and a lot more opportunity to do things differently and actually sometimes speak truth to people that listen. And it is a great opportunity for me to use all of my experience that I've gained over my career to do things differently. Well, congrats and I wish you well and all good fortune. Let me ask you a question. Will you be taking on some special assignments that existing in-house HR doesn't know what to do or doesn't have the time to do it because of other things? Yes, I will. It will be often there is not bandwidth or expertise in-house for a particular problem that they're trying to achieve or an opportunity they don't see is right in front of them. So I believe that I can bring my expertise with my global background, again, my domestic background, training experience, organizational behavior, and other HR experience to help organizations and leaders and employees do better. 
Well, let's go into a deep dive here and talk about this issue of culture, corporate culture, and cultural intelligence. That seems to be hot words these days, right? Absolutely. Cultural intelligence has had a reawakening recently because of its value and application, not only in in the global business environment, but also in the microcosms of what happens in an organization and all the cultural differences that appear in an organization and organizational culture as a whole. The other aspect that cultural intelligence adds value to are opportunities for for diversity and inclusion. People who are more culturally intelligent have the ability to make those bridges happen and work with people who are different than themselves. If you don't mind, let me go back to a couple of things you just mentioned about cultural intelligence within an organization. So that's corporate speak. So in English, what does that mean? (laughs) Very good. So let me step back a little bit and actually define what culture is in in lay terms. It's the way things are done around here. So if you go into any organization, a department or subdivisions or anything, it's the way things are done. So even as an employee or a candidate who's walking into an organization nowadays, you always get the question on the other side of the table to explain what your culture is here. Because to attract employees, you have to have a culture that is someplace that people want to work. So the culture inside of an organization and cultural values, the way the organization behaves, is really important right now to leadership and management and employees and making sure that people who are culturally intelligent and attracting people who are different than themselves are able to work in that environment. And cultural intelligence is the ability to work with people who are different than yourself and work effectively with people who are different than yourself. So culture can be national, generational, ethnic, and more, right? Absolutely. It could be gender-based, race, age, disability, national. So everything has a culture. We may not call it culture all the time, but it really is a culture because it's the way things are done. So millennials have a culture. Baby boomers have a culture. Parents who are single parents have their own way of doing things, as well as if you work across borders. So if you work with your German office or your China office or your UK office, they all have different ways of doing things. So cultural intelligence, that's why cultural intelligence is having a reawakening, is because it's not only applicable to working across offices in other countries, it's very applicable to work in your specific company office or your regional office that might be in a different state. So I personally have had some issues and some difficulties actually doing cross-cultural, cross-border business without getting into details, no need for that. But on two occasions, I've had situations, organizational work projects blow up because of, quote-unquote, cultural differences. Working across time zones, cultures, borders, the way things are done, say, in France or Switzerland or Germany or somewhere different than California, for instance, Southern California in particular, is way different. And just how things are done and perceived values and perceived 
meanings of things. There are so many different ways of screwing it up, and I think I've done them all. We all have. You are in the same boat that almost everybody that works across cultures has experienced. The value and the great thing about cultural intelligence, unlike other forms of capabilities, you can develop it. It's a developmental skill. You don't have to be born with it. You don't have to be a world traveler. You don't have to have worked across lots of geographies. You just have to learn the technique and you can increase it. It's repeatable, it's practical, systematic, and it just allows you to work with people more effectively that are different than yourself. So I've been working, you and I probably are very similar. We've probably been working across borders for several decades. And even now, I go into places where I'm not sure what the right protocols are, and I don't want to mess up. But if I come in with a cultural intelligence mindset, I can work my way through it. So without stumbling, I have a practical model to say, okay, this is how I should work in this situation. And it hasn't really failed me yet. All right. So let's talk about diversity and inclusion. So. What does this mean? Diversity inclusion, as you know, probably you've heard, is the one of the biggest topics in the business world right now mm-hmm. because people understand, leaders understand that to get higher innovation, more ideas, it's not just the, the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do. So the more diversity, the more ideas, the more differences that you can bring to problem solving, the better your solution is going to be. So what happens is leaders and businesses have the idea of bringing diversity, either identity diversity or diversity of thought into their organization. Where they've hit the roadblock is is that they haven't figured out how to make those diverse voices and thoughts inclusive. So the inclusivity part portion of problem solving is where we still have lots of opportunity to be better. And one of the things that, to go back to the cultural intelligence portion of it, applying a cultural intelligence approach to diversity and inclusion is another way of bringing inclusivity into an organization so that you can do better. So you're also a professor at the University of California in San Diego, is that correct? I teach a class there. It is organizational behavior. I teach it to business certificate students. I teach two or three times a year. And so is this topic hot? It's a very hot topic. It's one of the most discussed topics. My classes are very interactive. My philosophy on teaching is I don't teach you facts. I hope I teach you to think or think differently and be inclusive of other people's opinions. And so when we get to the cultural intelligence, the diversity and inclusion aspect of our class, it usually is a full class, it is a very lively discussion. The reason it tends to be lively is I have generally have a pretty international group not only of local business students here, generally graduate students or people who are at work and getting their business certificate. So they're U.S.-based. My last class had German, French, Canadian. Class before that had Japanese, Korean, U.S., Italian, Russian. 
Brazilian, they're all in the same class. And we talk about how organizations behave and how organizations work and how people interact with each other in a business context. It's so enlightening and so fun. I learn as much from the students as, as I think they learn from me. So all of this falls under the umbrella of global HR, whatever that means. So how would you define global HR today from your perspective today? Great question. Global HR is still the ability to work with your employees and your leaders and your management in different pockets around the globe. I actually still believe that there is a globalization going on in the world today. I think there's some friction in pockets, but I don't know that we can stop that. And it just is moving from different areas of strength to areas that are changing. And to be able to understand what's happening is you have to understand how organizations and people behave. You mentioned previously about the mistakes that you've made and probably I've made myself about working across borders, things like the way people make decisions. If you make a decision, how steadfast is that decision? How long does the decision take? How many people need to get involved in the decision? I mean, those are very small carve out of what happens in the in the global world, but it is still really important. I think if you look at everything across what's happening in the world today, it's still absolutely impacted by what's happening in other parts of the world. We are not a single entity anymore that we can live in our own pocket, that whether or not you're thinking of this as political or business or religious or anything else, it all impacts every single person that is working or living right now. Well, we can see what's going on geopolitically right now, particularly the uh, trade talks between China and the U.S. It's totally about culture. And of course, the derivative effects on politics, it's just totally involved. And it's not going to, I don't think it's ever going to be solved because it's an ongoing issue. How are you going to change structure, I don't know what to call it, other Chinese culture is a, it's a personality, it's a, it's a way of doing things that for thousands of years, and here they are today, and flexing their, their muscles, if you will, strutting their stuff, and you have the president, I'm not getting into politics, but you have the president mouthing off and doing one thing, and then the trade representatives doing another, seemingly, and, you know, the good cop, bad cop routine is kind of a, like a gun smoke TV show to the Chinese, <laughs> you, know? you know, it doesn't resonate, it's not taken seriously, and I think it's causing problems, Absolutely. and all because of the cultural thing. Absolutely, I think, I think there was a very wise person that says culture eats strategy for breakfast, but also... I think that the aspect, as you bring up the things that are happening in the business world in regards to the tariffs and other aspects that are, are current, you know, so it'll be something different tomorrow. But sometimes I listen to the exchange that's happening and decisions that are being made, and I cringe a little bit because I know that it is not fitting or doesn't resonate across cultures. So even though whatever your political affiliation is, we ultimately want the best things to happen or whoever side you're on. 
to do that, you need to do it smart. And sometimes I think that we miss the boat sometimes because we don't understand or we don't have the knowledge or the strategy, which is part of the four components of cultural intelligence to make this happen correctly. So I think that some of our leadership, it would behoove them to become more culturally intelligent if they want to be more successful working across borders. So it is something that I would definitely encourage any leader that works globally to make sure that their teams have that capability and they increase that capability. They will be more successful on both sides. So let's jump over to an article that you wrote about in-person interviewing as opposed to, I guess, video interviewing. And you, you come up with five ideas to help you stand out. And apparently this came from your college class on organizational behavior. Someone asked you, uh, as I'm reading here, someone asked you for advice about how to stand out in an in-person job interview. Do you want to yeah. chat about that? Sure. So let me give your audience a little bit of background. I had a student who we had been talking, she was trying to change jobs, and she finally got her in-person interview, and she came up to me and said, you know, how do I stand out from everybody else? So this is, again, a little bit of a carve-out because there are other things that you can do to make yourself be desirable. She got herself that far. So I said to her, there's a few things that I would suggest that you do because I was on the other side of the interviewer side looking for differentiations in candidates and what makes them great and they should be part of our team. And so what I mentioned to her was that, not necessarily in order, but the first thing is she has to remember that she's there to solve the problems of the manager and the organization. So when she's in an interview, it's not about her. So you can ask, like, you know, what's the work-life balance and what do you offer? And If you want the job, it's not about you right then and there. You can have that conversation later once you convince them that you're the right person. When she walks into the interview, take a look around, get a feel of what's on the walls, look what's around the office, try to understand if she goes into a hiring manager's office, look to see what's of value to that person, and try to make a connection because it's about making a connection. You connect with that person. The other thing that I learned from a really smart professor was you want to start out the conversation at an opportune time by asking the interviewer right from the beginning. So it would be really great to help me understand why you invited me in for this interview. Because what you're doing is you're priming that person to think about your positive traits. So those positive traits now become the foundation for the beginning of the discussion. So you prime that interviewer to think positively of you from the start. So those are a few of the things that, I mean, I combined many of the topics that I told her, but she sent me a note very shortly afterwards and said she got the job. So the last thing I mentioned to you about asking the person to tell them about why they invited them in for the interview, I've told a number of people, a number of coaches about that tip. And they've come back and they have raved about that it's worked. So it's cursory and evidence, but it seems to be something that people, it really resonates with people. 
That's really sound advice. And of course, they've probably gone through many resumes, and yet they wanted to see this person. And so they're hiring a person, a human, not a machine. So it behooves the person applying for the job to be human. They're trying to figure out if they can relate to the the interviewer. When you get to interview in person, because the process nowadays is very generally long, they're looking at your resume first, you have to get through the applicant tracking system, sometimes you have a phone screen, sometimes you have an interview, sometimes you have a second interview, sometimes you have a third interview. So it can be a very long and tedious process. So you need to figure out a way as the candidate to differentiate yourself. What makes you stand out? And it's all about connection and solving problems for the hiring manager and the company. If you can show to them that you can solve their problems and you connect with them and you have all the skill sets that they're looking for and you're the right person, then they'll hire you. You'll, you'll differentiate yourself from all the other candidates that they're talking to. So part of the language of the younger generation, <laughs> I don't see the sound like my father. So the word hack used to be a negative word, but it's not anymore, is it? A hack is a what? Hack is a, is a tip. Yeah, it's a tip or a way to do something differently, but it can be, it's a positive. Got it. So you mentioned it's really about the company, not the person applying. It's all about, they're telling about the company. They already know something about you, but now they just want to see how you relate to them. Is that correct? That's correct. In the interview process, yes. Once you've convinced them then you're the right hire, you're the right person, then my recommendation would be then you start asking about the things that are that maybe a little more negotiation on your part. The first part is you have to sell them. You have to sell them that you're the right person. So if you talk about, I mean, if, if I talk about a former company or a boss or a situation in a company where I used to work, if I say something negative about that, that's probably a bad thing to do, isn't it? Even though it seems like a logical thing, it's probably a really bad thing to do. I guess it's because you're wasting time, right? It's a little bit of a wasting time, but it also tells the interviewer or your company about how you think and your mindset. So if you want to dwell on the negative, it maybe is telling a little bit about your grit and resilience and how you think. Companies like employees who are problem solvers can get through rough times, and we've all been in situations when it hasn't been good and it maybe hasn't been your fault, but in an interview, it's not the time to bring it up. You're still selling yourself, so it's not the time to bring up negative experiences with ex-employers. Yeah, but what if they ask? I mean, what if they try to kill you? What if they're drilling down? I would still try to find a way not to speak negatively about your ex-employer. So there is always a way to turn things to a positive. Finding a way to take a situation um, and turning the answer to a different topic or taking that particular situation and talking about how you solve the problem versus the problem, then you will look better in the eyes of your potential new employer. Right. And that's how they'll remember you. That's right. Because if you say the negative, they'll remember you for the wrong reasons. This has been really practical, very useful, I think. So let's summarize. We come to a close here. And I welcome you to come back 
in a couple of months and give us information about how you're progressing and what things you've learned. Once again, global mindset is what's required these days, how things happen in the world and how they impact you and a local community and a local company, because businesses have the world at their fingertips in terms of product awareness and employer branding. Would you agree? Everything is global. The, the world is flat. So if you want to succeed in a global economy, you need to be able to work globally and work with people who are different than yourself. So that's why understanding culture and working better across different cultures, whether it be domestic or international, will make you more successful. So Connie, how can people get in touch with you? They can email me at Connie at HRWithoutBorders.com. They can go to my website, HR Without Borders, and all my contact information is there. My phone number is there as well, but they're welcome to reach me at any time. would love to have a conversation with people that are interested in looking at HR differently. So we've been talking with Connie Weedle, W-E-D-E-L, in San Diego. And thank you very much for being my special interview conversation today on Global Radio Talk Show, broadcast service of Global HR News. This is Ed Cohen in San Diego, along with Connie Weedle in San Diego. And we're signing off. Thanks again, Connie. Thanks, Ed. Okay, bye-bye. I think to myself, what a wonderful.